This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We got a lot to get to today. Wild home opener was Tuesday night. I'll get to that in just a little bit and a little shame on myself. And the Timberwolves open Wednesday night at home as well. So a lot happening in sports. We'll have Sachin Gupta, Executive Vice President for the Timberwolves, who's taken over as their you know, main decision maker in the wake of Gerson Rosas being fired a little less than a month ago. He'll be on the show here in just a little bit to kind of give his perspective on the roster that he inherited, that he helped construct um, being under Rosas for uh, for a couple of years now, and uh, kind of give his thoughts on trying to move forward in the wake of that situation. Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer for the Star Tribune, will also join me, talk a little bit about the preseason, talk a little bit about can this team get any better defensively this season. That has been a problem for them for a very long time. But first, what did I miss? Yeah, I talked about that wild game. And, you know, what did I miss is a segment I do basically on uh, pretty much on every show. Maybe not the maybe not the Monday shows with uh, – with Royce, but it's just kind of a way to catch up on everything that has been going on, kind of a catch-all way to do that. And usually it's directed at the listener, right? It's more like, hey, what did I, the listener, miss if I, you know, went to bed early last night? I've, you know, I'm doing this podcast very early on, uh, you know, in the mornings of, of the weekdays, so I'm trying to catch you up on everything. Today, however, what did I miss is quite literal, um, Chris. Chris Lindy on uh, on Twitter actually said, what did I miss should be self-reflective tomorrow. Yes, it should, because that came after I admitted on Twitter that I went to bed. I turned it, I didn't go to bed, I guess. I turned the TV off, though, changed it to a different channel in the wild game after the Jets scored what I thought was an empty net goal with a little over a minute left to put them ahead by two. I was like, okay, that was you know, the clean goal. Um, you know, two goal deficit at that point is going to be insurmountable. They're not going to win. Let's 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 flip over to uh, I think it was Golden State, um, Golden State Lakers at that point. See what see what's going on in that basketball game. And instead, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm putting helping put the kids to bed right after that. It's you know it's getting late. They don't have school today, so whatever. It's it's fine. And I'm scrolling through Instagram, and I I see Instagram of all things. I see the wild has posted something about the game. The post has a caption that says, Are you not entertained? And it has what looks like Joel Eriksson-Eck going in and scoring the game-winning goal in overtime to win 6-5. And I'm like, wait, what? What's going on? Is this like a highlight? Did I miss this? You know, sometimes Instagram cycles through stuff and it's old. Is this a highlight that was getting you ready for the Winnipeg game? Things like that. But it's like, no, they posted this 53 minutes ago. What? What's going on? And it turns out... Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys probably know by now the, that empty net goal was disallowed. Wild still trailed by one at that point instead of two. Eck tied it in at the end of regulation and won it in overtime. So shame on me. Let that be a lesson to me. I heard a few of you said the same thing. You did the same thing. Unfortunately, I think Susie said same. Tony Myers said same boat. I thought all the posts I saw saying how great the Wild played were sarcastic. And another uh, Kevin on Twitter said, um, I left the game when it was 5-3, so it could be worse. Yeah, the Wild did rally from two goals down. Looked like the deficit was going to be two again. Still won. Amazing, incredible resilience in that game. Not on my part, though, because I missed it. Shame on me. Never gave up on a game until the very end. And let that be a lesson to all of us. 
And, you know, don't give up on this wild team. 3-0 and right now. Two of those wins have been quite dramatic. They might have something good going here right now in St. Paul. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Sachin Gupta, Executive Vice President of the Timberwolves, co-inventor of the trade machine. We'll get to that in a little bit. It's something that's followed him around from job to job, but I don't think it's something he's um, running away from either because it's a pretty cool thing to put on your resume. Uh, Sachin, how are you today? I'm doing well, doing well. Just uh, really, really excited for the start of the year. I think we all are. Um, I want to ask, I got a bunch of things I want to ask you, but I want to I want to talk about the roster right off the jump because that's most germane to what's going to happen in Wednesday's opener against the Rockets and beyond. Um, you know, the assembled roster, maybe just kind of an open-ended question. What do you like about the players you have? And conversely, maybe what questions do you think remain unanswered about this group right now? Well, for, for one, we, we do have some continuity for, from last year, uh, but some of the additions that we've made this summer, Patrick Beverly, Torian Prince, those guys provide a real veteran leadership that, that this group really needed. We've got a really young group uh, and there's a lot of talent, but there's a lot of room for growth. And, and I think Patrick and Torian, uh, that they've made a big impact in the short time that they've been here. Uh, and, and I think they're really going to help our young guys uh, continue to grow and develop and um, bring bring a certain uh, intensity. Um, you know, Pat- Patrick's been to the playoffs every single year of his career. And, and I think that's really meaningful. And uh, he's really taken on that leadership role. And uh, his, his goal is to, is to lead us back to that, that promised land. Stylistically, how do you think this team will play is it kind of more of what we saw towards the end of last year when chris finch took over and kind of had his was able to put some of his imprint on on this or will there be with a little bit of a different personnel do you think this will look a little different uh i think it'll be largely similar um you know coach now has had a full off season and a full training camp which which he didn't have before um so you know i think all, all the principles that that he uh, believes in. Uh, I also believe in. We're very much on the on the same page of playing up tempo, uh, playing with with pace and space, and uh, we believe in um, you know that uh, you know getting good shots, shots at the rim, getting to the free throw line, um, taking open threes. Uh, so, so so those philosophies haven't changed, and um, you know get, going forward, I, you know I think we will try to optimize around the, the, the talent and the skill set of the players that we have. Uh, Carl in particular is, is such a unique player and, and such a talent on the offensive end. It, it, it's the same with, with D'Lo and Ant, um, just very versatile players, which give uh, gives Coach a lot of room to, to be creative. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what, what uh, he does with that. Gerson Rosas was fired a little less than a month ago when that happened myself, a lot of other people were like, what, what is this going to mean? What, what comes next for the organization when there's a jolt that close to the start of the season, when you, you know, are now, you know, essentially 
in charge of a lot of what he did. How do you, you know, aside from basketball, how do you make sure that this doesn't, that it, that it didn't or wouldn't descend into some sort of organizational chaos or kind of stop the perception of everything's going to fall apart? Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've been here for the past two years in, in the first thing that I did was to reassure everyone that, that there's no other changes where, you know, we have the same goals that we had the, the week before and we're all here, we're all in it together and, and we're, we're ready to go. Um, and since day one at training camp, it's been all about basketball and there's a real excitement and, and energy in the building. Um, and we're just, we're just ready to go. We've had a great preseason um, and we're, we're ready to, to, to start tomorrow and um, excited to, to play at Target Center in, in front of in front of a bunch of fans, which which we've been missing for the past two seasons. And uh, so in, we have seven of our first eight at home. So so we're really, really excited to to get off on, on the right foot and build some momentum. How can you make your mark on this team, you know, given that we don't know, you know, the, this hasn't been like permanently settled and, you know, there's probably limited moves you can make roster wise. Uh, I can say it, maybe you can't Ben Simmons being the obvious exception to that. How, how do you kind of, kind of make your mark on what you want to do with, with this, with this leadership opportunity? Uh, you know, I honestly, I don't, I don't view it as, as that. I don't view it as me trying to make my mark and, trying to prove that, uh, you know, this is my job. I, I, my goal is just to do the best job that I can, um, and to, to help coach and to, to help, to help put everyone here in the best position possible to succeed. And I'm just going to do the best that I can. And, uh, when opportunities come up, we'll, we'll try to take advantage of them. Um, but, uh, it's, it's all about, it's all about putting the, the team in the best position. It's, it's not about me. You know, that that said, you know, decisions within an organization ideally are made collaboratively. And, you know, I think that's you know, it's been the case at times. If you had been in charge of the roster the last two years, like the one with the final say, is there an example of one specific thing or one direction you might have gone differently than what uh, than what Gerson ultimately did? No, I, I wouldn't say that. We, You know, we 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 were a group together and we've got a lot of really good people here and uh, we go into a room and, and uh, you know, we, we debate and we come out with a decision and, and we're on the same page when we come out and, and that's how we'll continue to operate. You've been described as being maybe the last one to speak in a meeting. What, what's the benefit of that sort of listening approach as opposed to like the, you know, an alpha, an alpha approach of dominating a discussion and, and being the one that's, trying to set the agenda from the beginning? Uh, it's, it's very natural for me, and it, and it comes from a place of, of just humility in, in knowing that I don't have all the answers. And uh, if I did, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't need all these scouts and uh, assistant coaches and everything. And I know that everyone in this building provides real value, and they all have a unique perspective. And it's important to, to take in all those perspectives to get the clearest picture possible of of whatever we're staring at to, to get to the best answer. You said that comes naturally. Is that, you know, from even before your professional career started, is that an approach you picked up along the way? You've been, you've been a lot of different places, worked for a lot of different people. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's humility is just a, a value that's, that's really important to me and always has been. Uh, but certainly throughout my career, uh, I think I've continued to hone that into uh, to understand 
um, you know, from my time in Houston to Philadelphia to Detroit to here, um, just the value of, of having good processes um, to take in as much information as possible to, to get to the best answer. I've heard you a couple more things, really appreciating this discussion with uh, Sachin Gupta from the Timberwolves. I, I've heard you talk a little bit in the past about how relationships are important in the NBA in terms of when you're trying to put trades together. I think you were really important in the Robert Covington trade a couple of years ago. I, I mean, I think we probably realized some of that, but also, you know, when we're putting together and we're hypothetically thinking about trades, maybe, you know, those who aren't within those walls, do we undervalue just how important those relationships are and being able to pick up a phone and have a casual conversation at the outset of, uh, you know, of a discussion like that? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, th that's not to say that that you're never going to come to a deal with um, with another team where where the relationship isn't isn't as strong. You know, as long as uh, the goals align, hopefully you can get to a deal. But um, sometimes a, a really bad relationship can stand in the way of a deal. And, and on the opposite end, a really good relationship, like you said, uh, makes it easier to have informal conversations and. Um, you know, maybe just when you're you're talking informally as as friends, it, you might pop up with an idea, um, and just it, it makes it easier having a trust to be able to share information about your needs and what you're looking for, versus if there's not that trust and uh, you're worried that what you say might get leaked to you know publicly or, or something to that effect. A um, couple more things, like I said, one being um, probably the least formal way of putting putting together a trade is the NBA's trade machine. Um, I go on there a lot, so thank you for uh, for that contribution. Do you still hop on the trade machine uh, and give it a spin sometimes, just to see if a deal will work? <laughs> Every now and then, I check check in on it. We we do have our own internal tools that that we use nowadays. I, I don't rely on on the same thing that that I built all those years ago, but um, but it, it was a lot of fun. And you know, but way back then when I did that, uh, it forced me to to understand the rules of the CBA to be able to code in all that logic. And uh, prior to that. You know, I did. I certainly didn't understand all the intricacies, and um, it, it certainly became useful for me early on in my first job in Houston, and um, has continued to, to be important for me. I really want to picture you in your office, just you know, hammering away on three and four team trades on the trade machine. Sajin, <laughs> uh, last thing. Um, I think we all have a, maybe different definitions of what might make this a successful season for the Timberwolves. And I think it's an important one. If you just look at where this organization's trajectory is, where Carl Anthony Towns is in his career, what to you makes this would make this a successful Timberwolves season? You know, we, I mean, we want to make the playoffs that, that that's important to us. Um, but, you know, we, we, we need to be playing competitive games all the way through the year and in competing for, for a play in spot. And, um, you know, it's, it's, we definitely need need to take steps forward from from where we've been and, and start start building this thing forward. We 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 do have a very young team, but you know that that's that's no excuse. And um, yeah, we're ready to take steps forward and, and really compete for for the playoffs. Well, looking forward to seeing how that all plays out starting Wednesday against the Rockets at Target Center. Good luck. Uh, good luck to you. Enjoy this conversation, and uh, let's catch up again down the road. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Now, I mentioned Ben Simmons to uh, Sasha Gupta, and we'll talk about that a little bit with Chris Hine here as well. That situation is 
a complete mess. I don't know if you saw the latest, but Ben Simmons basically sent home from practice Tuesday, suspended for the, the 76ers season opener because it doesn't seem like he's in it mentally. Joel Embiid, his teammate, keeps saying he doesn't have to babysit him. Um, it's not great right now. Trade value can't be very high right now. And just keep an eye on this. Keep an eye on whether this gets revisited at a certain point with the Timberwolves uh, during the season because I don't think this story is anywhere near complete. Timberwolves season is upon us. First game of the year, Wednesday night against uh, the Houston Rockets at Target Center. Chris Hine covers the Wolves for the Star Tribune and has for the last few seasons, and he's with me on Daily Delivery today. Chris, how are you doing? Doing good, Mike. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited for another year of Wolves basketball. October is always a always strikes me as not a not a weird time to think basketball because it always feels like you know this is when the NBA starts, but it's just the convergence of so many seasons. You got the Wild playing now. The Vikings are still playing. You still got the World Series about to happen. So you know just. It, it doesn't go front brain right away, but you know, when they're about to start, there are a lot of things to, to think about. And with this team, I think they're, they're pretty interesting. Kind of like we've talked about on past shows. And, you know, as we think about the roster construction, you know, the off season additions of Patrick Beverly, Tori and Prince, and obviously the big shocker about a month ago of Gerson Rosas leaving. It's a lot of things that we kind of got to see play out on the court before we're probably going to have a real, sense of this team that said going into the year what you know as, as you think about storylines maybe even you know defense and trying to improve that what what do you see as kind of the the things that we should be that, that we should be watching for in the first five to ten games to kind of know you know kind of what the what the feel is of this team yeah i think for me it, it really does all boil down to how good is this team going to be defensively they, I think the offense is going to be fine. The offense in some ways, you know, take care of itself when you have the talent like D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards on that end of the floor. But can they be consistent enough on a night-in, night-out basis to become, as Chris Finch has said, just average defensively? You know, just get to the middle of the pack. Don't, don't languish in the bottom five like they have uh, for the last few years here. That, to me, is, is the biggest storyline of this season. Now, Finch has come in and is trying to uh, revamp a little bit about how they play defense. He's going to be using Carl Anthony Towns more along the perimeter, playing, quote-unquote, at the level on screens to, to contest those, not so much drop coverage, uh, rim responsibility, and, and that's going to be handled by the weak side low man on defense. Um, and we'll see how much Towns is able to affect uh, – you know, and, and do some do some damage up at, up at the level this season a little more often uh, than than we saw him in past years. So that's going to be a, a change you're going to see is is him being being more involved in defending pick and rolls than maybe in the past when he was just playing that drop coverage. Now, does that lead to improved defense? I don't know. I, I look at the roster and I see that they have. Uh, I think they have more talent and more guys who are more defensive minded than they have the last few years. You have Patrick Beverly, you have Josh Okogie, you have Jaden McDaniels, you have even Torian Prince, who, who's not a, who's not a bad defender and can defend multiple positions. So I look at the roster and I see more defensive talent. Can they string it together on a night in night out basis is, is for me the, the question number one 
of, of whether this team is going to be a, a play-in team, you know, low kind of high seed contender in the Western Conference or languishing at the bottom again? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think, you know, it's it's been a kind of a maybe mystery is the wrong word because you can see why it happened. But, you know, for, for many years, even when, you know, Tom Thibodeau was here, you know, the, the defensive acumen that he seemingly brought to the table, they, they did languish near the bottom of the league and they had, you know, they had their spurts. I think, you know, the first handful of games with Robert Covington here, when you saw some of the things that he could affect from multiple positions, they, they would have stretches, but by and large, they would fall back down. Now, do you, you know, like, like you said, I think there's some defensive upgrades on the roster achieving balance seems like it will be a question for them because they, they haven't in the past had a lot of guys who were good uh, on offense and defense or could have, could affect games both ways. How, how much do you think that will inform starting lineups, rotations, things like that? Cause I, I gotta admit some of those things are a little bit of a mystery to me still, and might still be a little bit of a mystery to Chris Finch at this point. I think so. And I think that's fair to say. And, and, you know, a lot of what we we've asked Finch ad nauseum about starting lineups and rotations this preseason, it's seems to come up almost every day um, because the fact of the matter is there, they're just, you know, there really isn't a rotation or starting lineup at this point. And I think some of it's going to be matchup based and opponent based as well. And, you know, Finch said the other day, it's like, you know, you have you, guys could be starting, you know, there's a difference between a starter and people who are starting, if that makes, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, so, you know, they do feel like they have some, some starter caliber players. Doesn't mean everybody's going to be starting on a nightly basis. Um, and plus, you know, they'll t- coaches will tell you that who closes the game is more important than who starts the game as well. And along those lines, you're going to see, I think some mixing and matching as well, because you have, some of the defensive prowess that you have on the roster that you maybe didn't have, you might be able to kind of sub offense for defense a little more and with a few more guys than, than in years past. So, so we'll see how that, we'll see how that plays out. The schedule lines up great for them here early in the season, lots of home games, lots of games against teams that should be beatable, especially if you have designs on being a, a, a playoff slash play in team. So, if, you know, I think there's every reason for them to, to get off to a decent start here. And, you know, if they don't get off to a decent start against Houston, against, you know, New Orleans, who's going to be playing without Zion Williamson and, and Orlando and teams like that that are coming up on the schedule here early, you know, I, I wonder how it's going to affect the rest of the season when, when if you can't beat these teams early on. What do we think? What do you think is their best closing lineup or even their best? five players on the court at once. Cause I think you're right. It, it, at the start of the game, you might sacrifice some offense. You might want to, you know, I have a certain identity. So you're going to mix and match, you know, make sure you have some, some defense out there. End of the game though, you're going to, you need buck. You need a lot of different things, but you need, you need to be able to score. You need guys. You can't have like dead ends on offense. Sometimes that you can just play five on four. As, as we think about this team kind of initially, obviously. And that's, that's coming from the guy who wants Ben Simmons, right? Ben Simmons is not a one-way player. Ben Simmons is a two-way player. Ben Simmons can't shoot, 
but Ben Simmons is far from a one-way player. Let's get that straight. And they were playing. They were playing five on four at the end of that. At the end of those playoff series, from what I remember, that was like the worst of Ben Simmons. He was completely lost and uh, on the right roster. Chris things, Hine. I don't know. Things if, things seem to be going great right now in Philadelphia. Yeah, things are going great. Yeah. It's uh, he's going to be there long term. Back, back on the right path. Oh, oh yeah. It's uh, everything's going great over there. It's certainly, <laughs> certainly not a matter of. Uh, when not if for him to get traded and maybe still here i mean you know i brought it up to to sash and gupta earlier in this podcast and obviously he has to dance around such things but you know I, I don't you know that 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 case is not closed now it does get interesting if the wolves get off to a good start um and you know they start to think about do we like what we have here and not want to disrupt that but uh, we'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there the, the bigger <laughs> question is you know towns russell be you know Beasley maybe Towns Russell and Edwards though for sure are 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 your three best players. Right. Those guys should be on the court in any closing situation as long as they're healthy. I would imagine. What do you think is the the what's the best two around them? Let's just say like situation <sighs> situations aside, like who would you want to see on the court with those two? That's tough. Um, you know, I I guess I, I guess I would go. I'd probably say McDaniel's and Beverly. Yeah, those were those were going to be my. I feel, I feel I feel like I would want Beverly on the floor late in the game, um, just to help manage things. You know, a little bit of on court leadership, the defense, the defensive component. He's you know I don't think he's a you know you're, I don't think you'd be he's a minus on offense in that situation, especially when you have three really good scorers on the floor at the same time. So I would go Beverly and McDaniel's probably. And that keeps Beasley off the court, which is interesting because he's, you know, probably you're, you know, outside of town. So yeah, no, no. I mean, but that, but there, there's the offense defense thing I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like, I would rather have Malik Beasley on offense if I could. And then, you know, I'd sub him out and put maybe Beverly in on defense if, if you could do that. You know? And you might be able to, and you might be able to do that for a couple of possessions, but you're not going to yeah. be able to do that for four minutes. You're going to have to kind of pick right. your lineup and go. And that's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It's just, it does kind of speak to, options they have but also deficiencies that uh, that they have as well um you have a big uh, q a with chris finch i believe that's in wednesday's newspaper you can find that startribune.com as well he touched a little bit on the defense like we talked about and being you know just be league average and i think he even talked about that at the uh, state fair podcast that we did at the state state fair appearance where we had him on but um you also touched a little bit on kind of the you know holding this all together, and that's something that you know I talked to Sasha Gupta about. You know, it's only been a month since Gerson Rosas was fired. Not even that. Not even quite yeah. that long. Yeah. Um, some of that has had to have fallen on Finch as the guy who had the most direct day to day contact with these players. What what was what were his thoughts on that time? Yeah, you know, he he gave a, a I thought a, a thorough answer when I asked him about kind of just what it was like to just be managing the team in, in the immediate wake of, of Gerson Roses being fired. And, you know, I think on one hand, it, it, it kind of helped them. Uh, he said it helped them that they had training camp coming up, you know, just a couple of days later, it's like, okay, well we have, you know, it's not like they had like weeks and months for it to kind of stew around the organization. It's like, no, we have practice on, on Tuesday. Right. So we got to, we got to get going here. You know, nothing really changed in terms of like their plans or, or, or his, or his plans for training camp how he wanted to install things. So from, from that sort of point, all he said was he had to attend a couple of, of meetings that he wasn't expecting to attend. So it set him back just a little bit in terms of preparation. But once they hit the practice floor, things were, things were fairly normal. You know, stuff like that, 
I think when it comes to like front office, front office drama and things like that, um, it tends maybe to, there tends to be at least a little bit of separation there between like the front office and what actually affects the players. Right. The, I think we've, we've spoken about this before the players, you know, they work with the, their, their coaching staffs. They work with the, the training staffs more on a day-to-day basis than they are hanging around the front office. So that has more of an effect on them than anything else. But the, so, but there was no change really in the coaching staff or anything like that. So, so from that point of view, things were fairly normal. Um, and, you know, Finch just personally said, you know, I, I, I'm looking at the quote here now. He's like, my whole career has been about rapid change, either from good or bad or unforeseen or uncontrolled circumstances. He said, the most important thing for me is whatever it takes to keep the team as settled as possible. The more trappings you put around everything you do, the more chance you have to unsettle yourself when those things aren't perfect. We just try to roll with the punches and keep things as minimalist as possible, end quote. So that kind of sums up, I think, his attitude towards it. It's like not ideal, but also not a, you know, a, a crisis or, or a disaster situation and nothing that he hasn't dealt with before. Big year. That's a good. I like. I like that answer, and I, I, I like that perspective. It's a. It's a big year for a lot of people in this organization. I think we've talked about you know Towns and you know Edwards. Can you make another step? Russell kind of maybe playing for that next contract too. Um, all that has kind of created expectations around this team, and you know a lot of different opinions. I even think I even saw like you know the the modeling for you know what this you know the wins on this team, I think different projection models have them like 10 wins apart. Like one of them's like basically 500 and one of them's more like 30 wins. The Vegas <laughs> line about like, right. You know, and the it, Vegas line is right in the middle of that. So I think it's about right. I mean, I feel like, I feel like a lot of us, you know, and a lot of people that watch the team or just observers of the NBA, we don't really know where this Timberwolves team is going. Right. Like, I feel like there is a lot of room there. We don't know how good, how good they're going to be defensive. We don't know how good Anthony Edwards is going to be in year two yet. You know, Will D'Angelo Russell and Carnathy Towns, you know, kind of pick up where they left off last year or will, or will, you know, inconsistency creep in? I, I feel like there can be a lot of variance in where this team ends up this year. Don't you? I really do. And I think there's, I think watching the preseason, people got excited, but I do also think watching the preseason, there were some things you could see where you, where it was, the optimism was legitimate. Like, I feel like, you know, Edwards just looks Looks like whatever happened in the offseason, he's he's even better than he was. He's bigger. He looks like he's just matured. And the guy is still barely only 20 years old, right? Like he is yeah. young, but you know, looks like he is on the verge of maybe making this his team to a certain degree. And you know, Towns looks motivated, looks healthy. Russell seems motivated. I mean, motivated motivation is a big part of this league. It's a big part of sports, and they seem like they are a properly motivated team. So I think I get why there is a certain amount of upside here. I've just seen so many seasons of upside <laughs> get upended for various reasons. Um, and it's not always the same thing. Sometimes it's injuries. Sometimes it's just, they weren't good as you, they weren't as good as you thought they were. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, a star player goes and blows everything up, but it just, yeah. it kind of depends, but I guess I'm, I'm closer to seeing the optimism than I was maybe a month ago. I think that's fair. Um, and, and we asked actually Carl Anthony Towns earlier today about like, this is the most, I think it was Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press asked him, um, you know, this is the most excited or optimistic you've been about a season since when? And Carl said, since the playoff year. 
Um, so, you know, I think that gives you, I think that's a fairly honest, candid answer that, you know, maybe the last few years, there hasn't been as much optimism about what this team can accomplish. Um, but this year, they, they seem to be at least feeling the good vibes right now. Yeah, well, we'll see where those vibes take them first. You know, like you said, that the schedule is pretty forgiving early on. So I it don't is. know. I don't know if, you know, that I think we might learn a little bit more about them if they lost than if they won. But if, if they come out of this stretch, you know, above 500, feeling pretty good about themselves, that could carry over to some better competition as well. But I'm excited just to see it on the court again, see what they've see what they've got. You know, it's, it feels like off seasons, even, you know, off seasons are interminable. You just want to get some answers, right? <laughs> I, I think that's where we're at right now. Uh, we, you know, it's been, um, what, two, three weeks since training camp started. And, and I, I, at least I personally have reached a point where it's like, I just want to see some games already. I'm sick of asking guys like the, the, the preseason kind of questions. Like let's see some games and let's, let's get into the rhythm of a season and, and let's get rolling here. I think, I think it's going to be interesting to see also defensively, like, you know, Yes, they have to be better in the half court, right? But I think one one thing also to keep in mind is that they're trying to get better kind of on the margins of, of how teams score points. And uh, that's something that you can you can read about in the Finch Q&A today. And, you know, he said, he, broke, he kind of broke it down this way. He said, you know, what are the three kind of most efficient ways teams score on you? Uh, transition, you know, getting to the, getting easily to the basket getting to the free throw line and offensive rebounding, extending possessions. Right. And so that has been a big emphasis for them too, is, is transition defense, uh, not allowing teams to, to shoot at a high rate in transition B they, they're very concerned about the number of fouls that they had last year. So they're trying not to play or trying to play with fouling less. Um, and we'll see how that goes this year. And I might explore that a little more in depth as the season goes along. And then three, they're, they're trying to get better rebounding wise. And I think that's going to be a big, a big concern for them because they're not the biggest team. They have to figure out a way to not get absolutely killed on the glass the way they have the last few years. Yeah, that's a good, it's a good point. It's a, you know, I like, I think you, I think you made a good point earlier that the points will kind of take care of themselves. How far, how many strides the defense makes probably will tell the story of the season though, and whether they are at least a play in team or, or at the bottom, but at least we get some answers pretty soon, starting Wednesday night. Chris Hine, good stuff. We'll do this many, many times during the season. Uh, get you up to 50 appearances instead of just five. Can't wait. Thanks, Mike. Let's finish with the cooler. Bring on the robot umps. We call them robot umps. It's not going to be a robot sitting behind home plate, but electronically calling balls and strikes. Technology is there. The Red Sox, it cost them seven runs in, uh, in Tuesday's ALCS. Huge, pivotal game. Um, a missed ball strike call would have kept the game 2-2 in the uh, ninth inning. Instead, the Astros get seven runs that inning and uh, tie that series 2-2. So just another example of maybe where you could use technology instead of the human element. Home plate umpire missed a bunch of calls, including a critical one in that game. Thanks for joining me here today. That will do it. Good stuff coming up later this week. I believe wild goalie Cam Talbot will be on Thursday's show. Friday, we'll do some NFL picks and maybe talk some gopher hockey as well. We'll see how that all shakes out. For the rest of Wednesday, enjoy yourselves. Download the podcast, write a review if you would. Haven't seen a review show up for a while, but I know a lot of you are listening. So if you're listening, maybe write a review on the Apple Store. That would help me out. Give it a rating, and we'll see you again on Thursday.